Welcome to the Emmaus Fellowship Teaching Podcast. We trust you find this encouraging. Emmaus Fellowship is located at 205 North Pine Street in Woodland Park, Colorado. Our phone number is 719-687-6061. We trust you find this encouraging as you pour over God's Word with us. Gave me a voice and a song Taught me how to sing wanted to thank you all for just um, welcoming me back from uh, the big adventure that I had with several of my friends. Um, and it was a trip down to Cozumel, an island off of the coast of Mexico. Blue water, warm water, scuba diving. It was awesome. And, um, and so what a gift. It was just such a treat to be down there with um, several of my long, long-term friends. Um, I was invited to join them for a birthday party, and so I, I had to pray about it <laughs> for about a nanosecond. <laughs> no, it was just a wonderful opportunity to be with some dear, dear friends. So um, with that, I wanted to ask, has anyone ever scuba dived before? Several of you. Do you realize that you're among the 1.2% of Americans who are certified. If you are certified, there's not many people who are certified in scuba. And it was kind of an interesting thing because in my circle, there were a lot of people who scuba dived. And so I was kind of taken by that number. I didn't realize it was quite that low a percentage because in my circle, a lot of people scuba dive. And so um, it just kind of showed me, yeah, like my perspective based on the people that I hang out with. Yeah, I like my silo. I like the people that I hang out with. My echo chamber is full of people who want to go on adventures. <laughs> so that's great. I don't mind that at all. But it does kind of change the perspective of uh, what's normal for a lot of people. And so I feel really blessed to have been down there. And this is my third trip down. And I've been scuba diving for about six years. And um, so it's kind of like a, a later life adventure, a new frontier that I took on uh, in my mid, early, mid early, early, early 50s. And, uh, and so I, um, yeah, I, I'm always, like, the first dive is always this combination of, okay, did I remember everything? Because I don't actually breathe underwater, and this is kind of scary, and if I forget something important, then there's bad consequences. Um, and then there's this, so that kind of, like, chaotic sort of, ah, we're on a boat, and it's rocking, and you're trying to put on stuff, and then once you get in, and you start to descend, all of a sudden, all the churning of the surface just disappears, and then you, the, the next objective is to, is to equalize so that your physical body is adjusting as you descend to the pressure and to the different atmosphere that you're in. And so it's in your ears, a lot of popping of your ears, and you go down. And then the next thing, once you reach down to, the, to where the coral is and the reef and all the life, you find yourself in a neutrally buoyant like state because you have a combination of weights around your waist and then a buoyancy compensator, like a vest, that you can 
fill up with just a little touch of air just so that you can find that neutral buoyancy. Now you're flying. Literally, like it's kind of like astronaut training. Like, I'm weightless. And the current is taking you along the, the coral reef, and you get to see colors that you don't normally get to see. You get to see animals that you don't normally get to see. And it's all just under the surface. And so um, for me, when I was sitting up, you know, on the deck after the dives and then heading back into the house for a bit of lunch and then a siesta, it just kind of struck me like, yeah, this is pretty picturesque, isn't it? Of like the life we have with God and just the normalcy of our life above the surface. And yet there's a depth and there's a, an invitation into something that is wildly fantastic and <clears throat> unreal. I mean, I have pictures of fish that I didn't know existed besides in sci-fi. Like the, the pictures of like animals that look like aliens from, you know, some outer space sci-fi film. I mean, it's just like, wow, it's just the, the wow factor is pretty high. I'll just put it like that. Um, and so here I was this morning, and I was engaging in worship, and the Lord started to draw me into a place that I have been able, over the course of several years now, um, say five or six years, really been cultivating with Jesus. And I'm only saying that because, again, it's kind of a later in life adventure, frontier of discovering aspects of the kingdom of God that are for you and I that are um, fantastic. And, and you don't have to travel far to get there. In fact, what it requires is a, a settling in and a relaxation into a depth that you have with Jesus in the interior of your own heart. And so here I am worshiping, and all of a sudden, um, I'm hearing your voices, and I'm hearing the worship, and I'm being taken to a place with Jesus that is absolutely beautiful. And can I say that he got to, you know, he showed me, like, he, he got to, like, be glorious in my heart in my imagination, in my prayer, in my contemplation, in my worship of him, I got to see him in his glory and his beauty, and it's otherworldly. And this earth responds, just like, you know, it said in the scripture, the rocks will cry out, the trees will clap their hand, everyone will praise and worship, and there was just a radiant glory that Jesus was displaying, and it was like I couldn't hear the mountains, but I could see like what looked like sound. My ears couldn't hear it. I don't know if that makes sense. I'm kind of going into that zone of like, yeah, that's my experience. It might be, sorry, I'm having issues. It might be um, challenging to put your head around it, and I'm not asking you to, and I'm certainly not imposing my experience on you. Like you should have that same experience. I'm just saying... It's just like that with the kingdom of God. Like it's so at hand and it's so available to us because of what Jesus has done. Now, with that, that was kind of an intro into just, wait, let me pause here a second. Yeah, let me ask you a question. Because one of the things that I saw, like I was like 
Jesus, you're amazing. And I was worshiping, and I was like bowing down before him. And he reached his hand out, and he's like, come here and stand with me. And he put his arm around me. And you know that verse that says, all of creation groans in eager anticipation for the revealing of the sons of God? He's like, here's one of my sons. Can you like get yourself in that place of like imagining that Jesus would like crown you with glory, that Jesus would share his glory with you, that he would give his glory to you. Now, I know that the scripture says in the Old Testament that, you know, God will not share his glory with another, but then John 17, Jesus is praying, he says, the Father, the glory that you have given to me, I give to them, and so that just, you know, sums it up, you're not another. You're one with him, and you're brought in, and So you get to share in the glory. So imagine that crown of glory. And that crown being like like maybe a literal crown. I don't know if we're going to get crowns in heaven. I actually think of it in terms of like what is on display in your life in in the identity of royalty is on display not only for the earth to see, spiritually speaking, but for you to live out. Like you get to live in your glory. And it's a crown of life that I think is for here and now. Now, now I'll pause. And I'll ask, okay, those of you who have been around, what are we going through systematically this year? The book of James. And we've been digging, digging into this, and we've been at it for a few months now, and we're still in James 1 and verse 12. Progress, movement in the right direction. So let's go to James 1.12 because I want to actually let what I've just shared with you be the seedbed that this teaching comes out of because this teaching, in my opinion, could be easily misinterpreted. James 1.12, blessed is anyone who endures temptation Such a one has stood the test and will receive a crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. This message comes with a bit of a warning label. Warning. What you are about to hear may challenge your current belief systems. Tucked in this passage is a reminder of the greatest commandment, which is to love God. Again, um, blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. What lens do you read this verse through? I'm just going to ask you this. Like, take a survey of how you're perceiving this verse, and I will share with you a way that I used to read these types of verses, and I'm still tempted at times to read this type of verse. Um, Do you read it something like this? If you love God, you will endure temptation, you will pass the test, then be rewarded or blessed by God with a crown of life. Doesn't sound too bad. 
but it's way different than what I'm going to present to you. It's not that it's absolutely like, um, well, I'll pause there because I actually think it can be so subtly absolute that we, if we're not careful, we will, we will use this passage to see our lives with God in such a way that actually um, it's a transactional relationship. If I, then God. If I love God, and if I prove that by enduring temptation, passing the test, then God will reward me by blessing me with a crown of life. These types of like messages are really pretty subtle. They come to us from well-intentioned people, my parents being one of them, or two of them. And, uh, and so if that was the lens that I was looking at this, then I would actually like have a real challenge here in my life with never quite feeling like I was capable of fulfilling my end of the bargain. Um, and, and what I want to share with you is that Jesus is quoting, uh, actually, let me, let me go into this, because there may be, by the end of this morning, there may be another way of seeing this verse. Jesus is quoted in Matthew 22, when asked, what is the greatest commandment? He replied, and he quoted a verse from the Old Testament that every Jew would have known as the Shema. And what Jesus says in Matthew 22 is, um, is echoed directly from Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Deuteronomy 6, 4 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. So the greatest commandment that James is drawing from, he's like, look, our life revolves around a love relationship with God. And I want to actually bring us to a place of hearing what this can look like in real terms. Like how can we literally express our love for God and avoid the trap or the temptation of this transactional relationship, if I, then God. So bear with me as I move through this. Hear, O Israel. The first words of the Shema, or this commandment, is hear, O Israel. The word hear is, in fact, the word Shema. This is where they draw that. But the original Hebrew, the original Hebrew here is a concept that we're not quite familiar with in our in our mindset, in our Western mindset. And so this is where there may be some challenge for us because we look at things through a lens. We come to that lens, quite honestly. It's like we're, we're taught things, we're brought up in a culture, in a society, and it's easy for us to have a particular lens. But I want us to look at the original intent here as Jesus is quoting the Shema. When we look at the word Shema here, the original intent is this concept of listening in such a way that you understand the intent of the speaker, you take heed to what they are communicating to you, and then you respond accordingly. 
So the concept of hear, O Israel, the word hear is that we listen with the original intent of the speaker in mind. When the original intent of the speaker impacts us, then we respond. So that's the concept here. Because it might surprise you that there's actually no word in the Hebrew language for obey. I know, right? Huh. There's no word in the Hebrew language for the word obey the way that we know the word obey. Shema is not saying obey God to prove your love. Shema is saying hear the intent of God's heart for you and respond. Let's link the overarching ways of God that are woven from the Old Testament through the New Testament. From the Shema in Deuteronomy to the letter of James. James 1 is telling us, Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test and shall receive a crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Can you hear God's Intent in James 1.12. Is God's intent, I will bless you if you prove your love to me? Or is God's intent in James 1.12, I have promised you a crown of life that will be a blessing to you. I have promised you a crown of life That will be a blessing to you. There is that transactional way in many belief systems, whether that's Orthodox Judaism or fundamentalist Christianity or any religion that relies on like a self-righteousness. And it uses scriptures like this or other texts to like, and it, it gets taken out of context of God's original intent. And what it does is it cultivates a a culture of compliance. It's not actually rooted in love, but actually a coin that has two sides. And one side is the hope of blessing. The other side of the coin is fear of punishment. Same coin. The culture of compliance relies heavily on the hope for payoff, if I, then God, or a fear of rejection, of punishment, or whatever, 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 the transaction goes like this, like I've said, if you, then God. If you obey, God will bless you. Flip side of the coin, if you disobey, God will punish you. What the Shema and what James is saying is, because God, now you. Because God has promised, now you receive. Hear it? Such is the one who stood the test and received the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Because has promised, because God has promised you receive, because God has offered you redemption, not only redemption, I don't know what that means to you, like the word redemption. It's like redeeming is like, coming back to like what was always intended. 
because God has redeemed you to your true self, because God has made a way for you to experience his blessing, because God has rescued you from the power of sin and death, because God has poured out his spirit into your life, because God has made you a new creation in Christ Jesus, because God so loved you that he sent his only begotten son, now you get to respond. Jesus, the Jesus we have worshiped this morning, the Jesus that we have opened our hearts to and asked him afresh to come in and establish his kingdom in our lives, you have to know that it doesn't look like what we see above the surface of the water. Get where I'm going? There's something deeper and richer and more fantastic about the kingdom of God in your life than the transactional relationship that relies on you and uses fear and um, the hope for payoff as the motivators. There's a love relationship that God is speaking to here. James is not saying prove to God that you love him by enduring temptation. I personally believe that James is saying something more akin to this. Because you've not been enticed away, because you have not been tempted away, you remain in God's blessing over your life. Because you've not settled for an imitation life, the real you gets to shine. And this is the crowning glory of Christ's life in you. No, James is saying, because you've prevailed in your wrestling with temptation, you have crossed over into God's best for your life. The second word in the Shema, hear, O Israel. Israel is an interesting word. It's the name that was given to Jacob after he wrestled with God. Israel means Sarah El which means God wrestles. And it's the name given to Jacob after he wrestled. And in this case, it says that Jacob wrestled. In fact, it says it in Genesis 32. It says Jacob wrestled with God and man and prevailed. We could go deep into this. We could go down that rabbit hole. It's really actually a very fascinating story. Many of us have known this story since we were little kids about Jacob wrestling we often think of it as the angel, but actually it says very clearly that Jacob wrestled with God and with men. Now, there's different ways to take that. You could say that he wrestled not only with God, but he also wrestled with himself. And, um, and there was a wrestling match that, you know, Jacob was not content to, to letting God go until he experienced a blessing. And um, in fact, the place that Jacob wrestled with God is called Peniel, which is, to you translate it, it says, I have seen God face to face. So there's something of intimacy that happens in the wrestling. It goes on to say that in Genesis 32, 31, now the sun rose on Jacob just as he crossed over Penue, which uh, Penuel, which is the river that he was, he was on the other side of the river. His family was on this side with all of his stuff. He had crossed over. He had a wrestling match all night with God face to face. He experienced the blessing of God and a limp that lasted his whole life. He was given a new name. He goes, I will no longer call you Jacob. I will call you Israel because you have wrestled with me. 
And then when he crossed over that river, um, the river is that place where he saw God face to face. A side note here. This is important for us. For, for people to be referred to as Hebrews, the Hebrew nation, the Hebrew people, the word Hebrew means those who have crossed over. So even the people that came out of Egypt and they found themselves backed up against the Red Sea, you have to know something. Not every person that was in that large group was of the bloodline of the Jewish people. It was anyone who had come to Egypt. Remember, the reason why they had even come to Egypt in the first place was because there was a great famine and Egypt had the food. And so they were not the only people who showed up in Egypt. And they were the slaves, but there were other people who had recognized that these people were being delivered out of Egypt and they came with. So it didn't matter ethnically if they were Jews or not. The minute they crossed over the Red Sea and ended up in the, in the wilderness, they were known as the Hebrews. Now think about it for us who are being grafted in. Like I'm a Gentile. I'm not necessarily Jewish. My sister, you know, she, she tried to prove that we were by doing the 23andMe thing, and then she bought me one for Christmas, and then I reluctant, you know, I haven't actually done it yet. Can I? Oh, wait, I'm on Facebook. Hi, Paula. Like, she really wants to know. Like, my mom was on her, you know, in her ear, like, I think we're Jewish. We should find out. Well, you know, a little surprise. Some of you already heard part of this story. The thing that came up the heaviest on my mom's side was Sindai Pakistani. All right. Uh, my mom was adopted. And, uh, and so, just a little sidebar here, because we're talking about lineage, um, and we're talking about crossing over and being grafted in as God's people. And so, you know, it doesn't really matter. Like, we're a hodgepodge, right? I mean, my, what my mom discovered recently through my sister, who was like, ah, on this, was uh, the records, the adoption records were open recently in Denver, and my mom was adopted in Denver. And my mom, you know, now she's well on in years, and, um, <clears throat> and she never wanted to know who her biological parents were because she loved her adopted parents so much that she never, ever wanted to in any way, like, dishonor the life that they had given to her. And yet my sister's over here like, Mom, can I do it? Can I do it? Can I call? Can I reach out? Can I go in the records? And finally my mom uh, relented and was like, yeah, fine. And so uh, come to find out, like, my great-grandfather's last name is Mueller, and he was born and buried in Colorado Springs. What? Mueller State Park? I have no idea what's going on there. <laughs> but <clears throat> that being said, like, it didn't matter what your national heritage was, once you crossed over, you were known as a Hebrew. One who crosses over. That's why baptism is so important for us. We're crossing over. The old life is gone. The new life has come. We're people of the promise. God initiated that. God invites and welcomes and is radically inclusive. Like, y'all come. So let's return to James 1, and let's actually read beyond verse 12. I know, right? 
putting into the high gear here. Uh, James 1.13. No one when tempted should say, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But one is tempted by his own desire, being lured and enticed by it. Then, when that desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. I'm like, okay, so it's Palm Sunday, and I'm going to talk about temptation. How does that link? And it's actually quite fascinating where the Lord took me in this. Let's look at the temptation of Jesus for a minute. We see Jesus, fully God, fully man, being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. This is found in Matthew 4. In verse 1, it says, Jesus being led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And I'm like, oh, oh, wait. I thought you didn't tempt, God. I I thought you weren't the one who tempted. It's like, well, I lead people by my Spirit into the wilderness, and there will be temptation in life. But I'm not the one who tempts. It says in verse 3, the tempter came and said to Jesus, and we know the temptations of Christ, I mean, but the first question is, and the first thing that Jesus was being like challenged with, even in this wrestling match, if you are the Son of God. Now, we could read through that entire experience that Jesus had being tempted in the wilderness in Matthew 4, But what I'd like to do is I'd like to actually focus in on the third temptation of Christ. In verse 8, Matthew 4, verse 8. The devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus knew the Shema. But he also knew, at least in part, his destiny. It says that the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him or ministered to him. In this we see that while God is not the tempter, the Spirit of God does lead Jesus into the wilderness where he is tempted And this is why I suppose Jesus taught us to pray, Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's a good prayer to pray. And as we focus on the third temptation of Christ, we see Satan enticing Jesus into an expression of what God had already destined over Jesus' life, that he would actually rule the nations. It was God's will that Jesus be king over all the earth. And this temptation then is touching something that I think is really important because in the craftiness of the devil, some of our greatest temptations lie in like a temptation to become who God wants us to be, but in an illegitimate way. 
So the drive to be who God has created us to be is real and it's there and it just brings fuel to the temptation of, well, I could, yeah, I could. But I think this is really, really key for us as we think of Jesus and his triumphal entrance into Jerusalem because his triumphal entrance into Jerusalem is a triumphal entrance into the passion of Christ, which would include the Passover meal and the betrayal and his arrest and his torture and the mockings and the ridicule and the crucifixion and the burial leading to next week's celebration of the resurrection. And so here we have a temptation that goes back with, for Jesus over three years ago. He's in the wilderness. He's just about to come into his public ministry. And he's being tempted by Satan to say, look, there's a way for you to actually have rule over all the earth. You just bow to my ways, bow to me, and I will, I'll give you a shortcut What is the way of Satan when it comes to having dominion? Well, the rule of Satan when it comes to having dominion is domination by violent force. Satan comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And when Jesus entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the people that Jesus was going to rule you know, like this thought was he's going to rule. He's a king. We're recognizing him as a triumphant king right now. But what they didn't recognize was that, was that Jesus had already dealt with and wrestled with and crossed over, as it were, from the way that the world had always known dominion to function, which was domination through violent force. Jesus had crossed over into a reality that what he was entering into there was actually um, a rule through sacrificial love and not violent force. They didn't recognize that when he walked in. Even his disciples didn't see it necessarily. But when they did realize it, was not going to be that they, the way that they had anticipated that Jesus to have dominion through domination in the ways that they've only known it, but for him to actually be submissive, passive, not defending himself, to actually allow himself to exercise a type of humility that would make him the victim? They turned, the people turned. You remember that the people were given a choice. Okay, so it's that time in our culture where we get to set someone free. We get to release someone from prison. You get to choose. Who would you rather see hang on a cross? Jesus of Nazareth? Or, oh, did you know that Barabbas is First name was Jesus also? Or Jesus Barabbas, which Barabbas means son of Abba, or son of a father, 
which basically would be translated, um, he, Barabbas was the son of a rabbi. So he's a preacher's kid. I know this is like, wait, what? But you need to know something. Luke 23, 19 says this, that Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during the insurrection against the occupying Roman Empire. Barabbas, son of a rabbi, a notorious murderer, was not like a psychotic serial killer. He was a ruler or a leader in an insurrection that brought death to the Roman Empire. He was actually a representation of the way of Satan when it comes to having dominion through domination, through violent force. Jesus, on the other hand, was a humble servant who submitted in the Garden of Gethsemane to the will of God and not to his own. So even the temptation of his own flesh was wrestled with in that garden People wanted violence. The temptation of Jesus in the wilderness to rule in the way of Satan that was enticed. And it it was what enticed the crowd to choose Barabbas. So you guys with me on this? You get where I'm? Okay, so here it is. Jesus crossed over. He not only crossed over in the Jordan when he was baptized, and then he was led into the wilderness and he, you know, withstood those temptations. But he also endured it even in the garden and even when he was hanging on the cross and it said that there was a myriad of angels just waiting for his command to destroy humanity. He did not choose violent force. All right. I just wanted to... Now ask the Lord to help me wrap this up. I actually purposefully, like, I don't have notes for this part. It's like, everybody likes a tightrope walker when there's no net. <laughs> what do we do with this? Here we have temptations that beset us all the time. We're wrestling, and some of those temptations are like, they're linked to things that are connected to our destiny. But they're enticements away from God's best for us, from God's blessing and God's crown of glory that he wants to have on display in our lives. And when we choose an imitation or we, when we choose anything that is less than God's best for us, then, as it said in the scripture, that eventually leads to some form of death. And we've all been there. I mean, that's the whole like, point of the gospel, isn't it? Like, hey, Jesus, we are not capable in and of ourselves in this transactional relationship, we are not capable of saving ourselves. This is why Jesus chose the way of God and not the way of Satan. This is why God, God put it in the plan for Jesus to become the sacrifice so that what was meant for us 
He took on. He took on our sin. He took on our punishment. He took on everything that would have been justifiably put on us. And he says, I am offering you something of a promise. Will you cross over into it? And in that crossing over, you might be wrestling with God, actually. You might be actually wrestling with yourself. Like, I actually kind of like the idea of, like, taking the easy way. I don't like the hard way. The hard way requires something of me. The hard way requires me to surrender my flesh and my lust and my desires to the will of God. That's why the temptation is there, because it's like, yeah, there is an easier way, but the end of that way leads to death. But just like with Jesus, the story does not end with his submissive death. The story ends with his triumphal resurrection. And eventually his ascension to the right hand of God, where everything on heavens and earth's like foundation is submitted to the powerful sovereignty of Jesus Christ. So the plan has been fulfilled. It wasn't through the shortcut. It was through Jesus being willing to do something that was so counter to the culture, so counter to human understanding and the way of you know, life as they had known it. And Jesus is saying the same to us. There's a way for us to enter in and enter into a place that's deep and fantastic. And we get to touch and experience and share in the glory of Jesus. So, I'm like really impressed that this is connecting with some people in some very real ways, maybe for the first time. You see, I'm kind of going into a prayerful place here. I just really want to ask the Holy Spirit to lift the veils off of anybody's eyes who has not seen it this way that the filter or the lens that they've always looked at God through has always been like, I have to earn or I have to prove or I have to do something that would satisfy the demands of God. And God is saying, I love you. And I have promises that I want to fulfill in your life. And I have a destiny over you. And it's going to be a blessing. And yes, it may be hard. There will be wrestling. But the end is life. And so, Lord, if there's someone who's hearing this and they have found themselves in a, at a crossroads of trying to decide what they're going to do, how they're going to receive you or not, I ask, Lord, now that you would extend your grace to them and give them the courage to cross over into you. Jesus, you have done what no other person on the planet has ever done. You have chosen God's way in such a way that you have defeated sin and death forever. And it took your great sacrifice. 
And so Jesus, even as we enter into this week, and as we imagine you as a triumphant king, yes, but you did it in a way that was so different than we even imagined could be possible. You did it through humbly serving and sacrificing yourself in love. Can we grab the power of that for our, like our story today? That we do not have to exercise dominion through force, through violence even, whether that's actual violence against other people or the violence in our hearts that would rage against things that resist us or people that resist us. Jesus, we do open the, the doors of our heart and we say, welcome in. And Lord, if you've changed some aspect of our filter today, thank you. If we're still wrestling with you in this, thank you. That you are not going to leave us. You're going to stay with us in that. And I pray, God, that at the end of the day, Lord God, we would know that our place with you is sure. Not because we got it right, but because we received the promises of your life for us. Jesus, thank you. I'm just pausing here because I actually have this little picture in my head of what's happening. Like um, there's angels with seed buckets in their arm and they're putting seeds in your hearts, like planting new thoughts and ideas that come from his word. So Jesus, do the work that you want to do and let the seeds that have been planted in our hearts take root and bear fruit in the years to come for generations, for our kids and for their kids and on. And so, Lord, thank you that you are, um, yeah, you're inviting us all to cross over into new ideas, into new ways of thinking, and into um, a new understanding of your great love for us. And in that, Lord, I just want to finish out by asking you to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, and deliver us from evil. And Lord, when we, fa when we face temptation this week, I pray that you would take us into a deeper place of connecting with you in that realm of your spirit and that realm of your kingdom that is fantastic and beautiful and it's our birthright. And we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's our joy to offer these podcasts. We sure hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, any prayer requests, feel free to drop us a line at Fellowship at iCloud.com. If you're curious about ways you can be more deeply involved in this community, visit our website at EmmausFellowship.org and be sure to like our Facebook page.